Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to uh, our service today. I wish you were in the building. As uh, we heard just a moment ago, the worship was just absolutely out of this world. And it leads me to talk about uh, the difficult times that we're in. When I was in college, um, our country was going through one of the toughest periods in our history. On a, on a positive side, the, the civil rights movement was going full bore, and, and although the cause was just, the cost was great, racial tensions were boiling over, the poison of racial prejudice and discrimination was being uncovered, and the conflict and the chaos and the consternation and the confrontation was necessary for us to really be a, a nation with liberty and justice for all. It was also during that time that the Vietnam War sparked this huge outcry, particularly on college campuses where I was. I mean, everywhere there were sit-ins, there were protests, there were demonstrations. And oh, by the way, then you throw in Watergate. And I can just tell you back in that day when I was in college, the mood of our nation was not good. It was a tough, tough time. Well, in 1972, in the midst of all of that unrest, there was a song that came out that, that's still one of my favorites. As a matter of fact, every time I listen to this song, it puts me in a good mood. And it's one of those songs I never get tired of listening to it. I have a playlist on Spotify. It's one at the very top of my playlist. It was written by a man named Tom Johnston, who sang with one of my favorite groups. You may remember them, the Doobie Brothers. Well, this song came to him literally in the middle of the night. And, and even though he wrote quite a few of their hits, he said when he finished writing this song at about 4 o'clock in the morning, he said it was the only song he ever wrote that he knew this was going to be one huge hit. It goes like this. I love that song, and if you were lived back in that day, you know the 70s were kind of the golden age of, of a lot of great music, and, and frankly, I probably listened to that song once or twice a week, and the song actually called for world peace because Johnson said he really believed that if all the world leaders, and these are his words, could just get together on a grassy sunlit knoll and listen to music, everybody would come together, everybody would get together, Everybody would stay together, and everybody would get along. Well, the song failed to achieve that goal, but Johnston was on to something. Because, see, he knew there is this incredible emotional, psychological, physiological, and even spiritual benefit to music. For example, here's just a few of them. Listening to music decreases levels of the stress hormone cortisol, which releases anxiety. It causes your brain to release dopamine, the feel-good chemical in your body. It can help you fall asleep faster, wake up less often during the night, leave you feeling more rested in the morning. Promotes the production of an antibody called immunoglobulin A that attacks viruses, bacteria, and even cancerous cells. It causes blood vessels to expand, increasing blood flow, and improving cardiovascular health. Just listening to music. 
And see, I believe that God knew way before we did the benefits of music. I think that's one of the reasons why God created it and God gave it to us. He knew there was something about music that could help us deal with stress. It could help us be healthier and, 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 and happier and maybe even holier. And that may explain why the largest and the longest book in the Bible is a musical book. It's a book filled with music. It's a book filled with songs. Now, they're called psalms. But if you've read the psalms, as I've read many times, you know just reading these psalms can soothe frayed nerves and, and they can calm worried hearts. So about, a, I don't know, a couple of months ago when all this started, God laid on my heart that we ought to do a series on, on one particular song that, that a king named David wrote. We're going to call this series Pitch Perfect. Because over the next several weeks, we're going to listen to a song that God gave to this shepherd who became a king. His name is David. As a matter of fact, if the book of Psalms was, was a 150-song album, the 23rd Psalm would be God's greatest hit. The 23rd Psalm of all the chapters in the Bible is probably the best-known chapter in the entire Bible. We're going to look at the lyrics of the song one stanza at a time. There are six stanzas in this psalm. We're going to look at them one at a time. Now, here's the kind of the, a little factoid for you. In the English language, the song's only 118 words. I mean, if you play this on the radio today, you have to play it about five times to you know, have a really full song. It's only 118 words, and yet it is probably the most familiar 118 words in the hundreds of thousands of words that are found in the entire Bible. And when you listen to this song, and let me tell you, I've listened to it over and over and over and over getting ready for this series. You realize even in these dark days, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You listen to this song, you realize there's a sun that is shining behind these, stark, these uh, dark storm clouds that we're all in right now. And by the way, as we begin the study of this verse first, which by the, for, for anybody that's ever heard it, most everybody knows how it goes. Everybody knows the first verse. It's not just the first verse. It is the foundational verse. You might want to say it with me, but it goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not walk. It may be the most familiar nine words in the Bible. Those nine words may have been spoken more by more people around the world in the history of the world than any other nine words in the Bible. But in that one little stanza, David gives us three reasons why no matter what happens going forward, we don't know how all this stuff's going to turn out. You don't know, I don't know. But no matter how it turns out, here's what we learn just from that one little stanza. Faith ought to be in. Fear ought to be out. Worship ought to be in. Worry ought to be out. Prayer ought to be in, and panic ought to be out. Because if what David says is true, those of us who are followers of the shepherd, those of us who know the shepherd, can say three things that are true about us every day of our life. Here's what I know. I have a shepherd who leads me. I have a shepherd who leads me. Now, surprisingly, this entire song is about a shepherd taking care of a sheep. So you got to keep in mind, he begins with these words. The Lord is my shepherd. Two words. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, that tells me that I'm a sheep. 
you're a sheep because sheep are, are, are the animals that have shepherds. You know, various countries have adopted certain animals to symbolize their, their national spirit. So the United States, we, we've chosen the eagle. Uh, Russia's chosen the bear. Great Britain has chosen the lion. And normally a nation would choose an animal that symbolizes strength and, 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 and power and, and independence. But God chooses to represent us as sheep. Sheep are talked about in the Bible over 500 times and over 200 times. That's what we're called. God calls us sheep. Now, I hate to tell you this, but if you know anything about sheep, that's not really flattering. Because first of all, sheep are not the smartest animals in the world. Back in the day when there used to be circuses, it's all closed down now, but back in the day when there were circuses, I went several times to the circus when I was growing up. And, and I, I used to see trained lions. I used to see trained tigers. Uh, I used to see trained horses. But I never saw a trained sheep. Just not the smartest animal, not the sharpest knife in the door. And it's amazing. I mean, sheep can just wander off and get lost. Sheep will just walk off a cliff into their death and by on their own, left by themselves, they just won't last very long. Because what sheep have to have if they're going to survive, they've got to have a shepherd. One of the things that moved the heart of Jesus was what he saw in a big crowd of people. I want you to listen to what he saw. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Now watch this, like sheep without a shepherd. There is nothing more helpless, nothing more heartbreaking, nothing more hopeless than a sheep without a shepherd. And that's why this is such a great statement because listen, we have none other than the Lord is our shepherd. And that ought to encourage you. That ought to bless you, even in these tough days. You know why? Because a shepherd is a 24-hour-a-day job. Shepherds never take a vacation. They never get away from caring for the flock. And the shepherd is totally responsible for the needs of the sheep because the sheep depend entirely on the shepherd for everything. They depend on the shepherd for food, for water, for shelter, for safety. And you're going to see as we study this psalm, being a shepherd is an around-the-clock job. Now, that ought to be music to your ears because the welfare of the sheep is the work of the shepherd. The shepherd's got one job, just one. Take care of that sheep. Look after that sheep. Make sure that sheep is taken care of. So who's responsible to meet the needs of the sheep? Well, the shepherd is. So think about it. The Lord our shepherd, God, who made us, said, you know what? I'm not just created you. I'm not just made you. I'm not just put you on this earth. I have taken on the responsibility to meet every one of your needs. And by the way, so notice who this shepherd is. He's no ordinary shepherd. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, that speaks of his deity. Shepherd speaks of his humanity. He is a sovereign and he is a shepherd. He is divine. He is human. He is God. He is man. Now, does that remind you of anyone? You know who the shepherd is? Do you know who Jesus, uh, 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 David is talking about? He's talking about Jesus. That's why in John 10, verse 11, Jesus is called the good shepherd. In Hebrews 13, verse 20, he's called the great shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, he's called the chief shepherd. See, here's the beautiful thing. Listen to me. 
When you decide to accept Jesus as your Savior, the Savior becomes your shepherd. And by the way, hope if you're watching us online right now that you'll be chatting with us and, and talking to us. If you're out there right now listening and you, you need a shepherd and, and you'd like to know how to know that shepherd, pop a text, pop, pop a, get on the chat line and talk to us. We've got people waiting to talk with you and share with you exactly how you can make that happen. But see, for those of us who know the shepherd, for those of us who love the shepherd, he is our shepherd. See, I'm limited by time and space. My shepherd is not. I don't know what's going to be happening tomorrow, but my shepherd does. I don't know what's over the next hill, but my shepherd can see, and he will lead me over it. And here's the beautiful thing. The shepherd who leads me will never leave me. Even if I tend to let go of him, he will never let go of me. This shepherd, he sees what I can't see. He hears what I can't hear. He knows what I do not know. And wherever I am, I know I'm going to get to wherever I need to be because I have a shepherd who leads me. So remember this. You've lost your job. You don't even know if you'll get it back. You're not even sure how you're going to pay your bills. You're not even sure what's going to happen tomorrow. You have a shepherd, the Lord, who leads you. Number two, I have a shepherd who looks after me. I don't just have a shepherd who leads me. I have a shepherd who looks after me. Now, listen to the second half of this verse. Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. And then he says, I shall not want. Now, that word that is used for God there is, 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 uh, is one of the seven names used for God in the Bible. It, he's called here Jehovah Raha, which literally means the Lord my shepherd. Now, I've told you how the shepherd is supposed to take care of the sheep, how he's responsible for the sheep. Well, actually, the shepherd had three parts of his job description. Number one, his job was to guide the sheep to shelter. Number two, it was to guard the sheep from danger. And number three, it was to give the sheep their food. In other words, the shepherd's job is to make sure every need that the sheep has, he meets that need. That word there for want, I shall not want, literally means lack. And the NIV translates it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Why did David say that? Why did he put it that way? I believe David was thinking back to something God said to Moses. Let me take you back uh, actually about a thousand years before David, Moses. Moses had a big job. He was kind of a shepherd of the sheep of Israel. And God gave Moses the job to lead the sheep of Israel to the promised land. Well, you know, because of their disobedience, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, I don't have the time to, the time to tell you about the Herculean task that Moses had. Think about leading somewhere around five or six million people in a wilderness for 40 years. Wait a minute. No Home Depot. No Publix or Kroger supermarkets. No fast food restaurants, no takeout service. Five, six million people for 40 years. And yet, here's what the Lord reminded Moses. It's amazing. 
He said, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. That boggles my mind. Not for one second of one minute in one hour in one day, in one week, in one month, in 40 years, did Moses or those people ever lack anything? Now, there's a New Testament counterpart to Psalms 23.1. You maybe know what it is. It's Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs. In other words, my God will see to it you lack nothing according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot of people that read that verse and misapply it and misunderstand it. That verse does not say God will meet all of your greed. It says God will meet all of your need. The shepherd never promises to give the sheep everything they want. He does promise to give to the sheep everything they need. I, I love to read history books. Anybody that knows me know that I, I love, particularly American history. And there's a book I read, I highly recommend it, that I read years and years ago by Stephen Ambrose. The title of the book is Undaunted Courage. For those of you who like to read, Stephen Ambrose, Undaunted Courage. It is the story of the Lewis and Clark expedition that opened up the American West. And Thomas Jefferson realized that when Lewis and Clark reached the Pacific Ocean, they wouldn't have any money, any clothes, or any provisions. So to deal with that situation... Thomas Jefferson did something that had never been done before in the history of our country, and it's never been done since and probably will never, ever be done again. He provided a letter of credit for Lewis authorizing him to draw on any agency of the U.S. government anywhere he went for anything that he needed. Listen to what he wrote in this letter. This is mind-boggling to me. I also ask of the consuls, agents, merchants, and citizens of any nation to furnish you with those supplies which your necessities may call for and to give more entire satisfaction and confidence to those who may be disposed to aid you. I, Thomas Jefferson, President of the United States of America, have written this letter of general credit for you with my own hand and signed it with my own name. It is the most unlimited letter of credit ever written in the history of the world. In other words, what he said to Lewis and Clark was this. Anywhere you go, anything the government's got, you've got it. Anything that you need, we are going to pay for it. Listen to me. This shepherd has done exactly the same thing for his sheep. He's given us over 7,000 promises in the Bible. And every one of those promises is a blank check promising that whenever you come up against a real need in your life, he will meet that need. This shepherd has given his word. You will not lack anything. Now, let me just stop right here because I know what some of you are thinking right now. You may have even put this on the chat room. You may be saying this, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I have a need that God hasn't met. Or I had a need in the past that God did not meet. Well, that's just not true. I want you to listen to me. If God didn't meet it, then it really wasn't a need. Because I want you to remember this. 
If you have a real need, God will meet that need in his will. If God doesn't meet it, then it wasn't a real need in his will. Give you an example. One day we're, we're going to die, and some of us are going to die from a disease that God is not going to heal us of. Now, we may think at that moment, I'll tell you what I need. I need God to heal me. No, that's what you think is your need. You don't need God to heal you temporarily. You need God to heal you permanently. So I want to say it again. This God does not lie. You have a shepherd that not only looks after you and, and, and looks after you need, you've got a shepherd that leads you. So no matter what you're going through, how long you go through it, at the end of the day, if the Lord is your shepherd, you will not lack. I have a shepherd who leads me. I have a shepherd who looks after me. But here's the last thing. I have a shepherd who loves me. A shepherd who loves me. Now, this is a sweet verse. It's a great verse. It is a comforting verse. It is an encouraging verse. However, I have to tell you, there's a little word in this verse. It's a little tiny word. You better hear clearly. Because it is the one word that determines whether or not this stands is for you. This song is for you. There's this little word in this psalm, and that little word is this word. The Lord is, and you can say this out loud at home with me, my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. David didn't say the Lord is the shepherd, though he is. He didn't say the Lord is a shepherd, though he was. He said the Lord is my shepherd. So let me just be very frank. If you can't say the word my this song's not for you. This song does not apply to you because that little two-letter word, my, is the golden key that unlocks the door to God's treasure chest of blessing that you will find in this psalm. See, you may know God as a shepherd. You may even believe that God is the shepherd. But here's the question. I'm asking it right now to you. Can you really say the Lord is my shepherd, my shepherd. See, that amazing thing happens in your relationship to God when you come to know Jesus as your shepherd. Here's what happens. When you finally come to that point, and I pray some of you will today, when you finally come to that point where you say, I want you to be my shepherd, at that moment, you know what God says? I want you to be my sheep. When you say, my shepherd, that's the supreme act of faith. When he says, my sheep, that's the supreme act of grace. So listen carefully. There's only one way to know that the Lord is your shepherd, and that is to make that shepherd your Lord. There's only one way to know that the Lord is your shepherd, and that is to make that shepherd your Lord. You know, one of the most amazing things I see when I go to Israel, and I hope someday you'll get to go with me, but one of the amazing things when I go to, I always can't wait to see it. We'll take a trip from uh, Jerusalem, and we'll take a bus, and we go down to the Dead Sea into a place called Masada, and we're really riding through the Judean desert. And every time you go, you'll see Bedouins out there with sheep. I mean, they'll be out there in the middle of nowhere. It's just a desert country. You'll see a man. You'll see his wife. You'll see his children. They live in a tent. 
They're shepherds. They've got sheep. They've done it for hundreds and thousands of years. And every time I see these Bedouin with a flock of sheep, all those sheep look the same to me. I mean, just, you know, one sheep, one, you know, just the same as every other sheep. But they don't look the same to those shepherds. This is incredible to me. Several of those shepherds can get together for, you know, maybe get together for fellowship or whatever. They can get together out in the desert. And, and, and so one flock of sheep will start mingling with another flock of sheep. And that flock of sheep will mingle with another flock of sheep. But guess what? When it's time to go and it's time for them to go their separate ways, here's a unique thing. Every shepherd knows exactly which are his sheep. And every sheep knows exactly who their shepherd is. In fact, I was reading the other day, a good shepherd, listen to this, a good shepherd can locate one of his own sheep out of a flock of 2,500 sheep. Think about that. If he's only got one sheep in a flock of 2,500, he can pick out that sheep in less than five minutes by the way he holds his head, by the way he bleats, by the way he walks. A shepherd can look at the ground where she's been lying down. He can tell by the condition of the grass, by the droppings they leave behind, or even by one look in their eyes if that sheep is sick. You know why? Because a shepherd, listen to this, a shepherd has a personal relationship with every single one of those sheep. Do you know why David is comparing Jesus, our God? Do you know why he compares the Lord to a shepherd? Because this shepherd knows you better than you know you. Did you hear that? This shepherd knows you better than you know you. Jesus knows me better than I know me. He knows Teresa, my wife, better than she knows herself. See, you may think you know what you need, but Jesus knows what you really need. Jesus knows how to forgive your past. Jesus knows how to frame your present. Jesus knows how to fulfill your future. And here's the beautiful thing. This shepherd wants to have a personal relationship with you, but understand it again. The Lord cannot become your shepherd until the shepherd becomes your Lord. If Jesus Christ is not your Lord, the Lord is not your shepherd. In just a moment, I'm going to invite some of you watching right now to make the Lord your shepherd. But let me just say one last thing. There's one other thing about this shepherd that is different from every other shepherd. What's so different about the Lord being a shepherd from every other shepherd who's ever lived or ever will live? Listen to this. Ordinarily, the shepherd gives the sheep whatever they need. I told you that, right? So he, he protects them. He provides for them. He gives them food. He leads them to water. We're going to see all this in this song. He takes care of every need that the sheep has. But this shepherd, this good shepherd, this great shepherd, this chief shepherd, he doesn't just give his sheep everything they need. He is everything they need. See, if you're hungry, he's the bread of life. If you're thirsty, he is the living water. If you're in the dark, he is the light of the world. If you're lost, he is the way. If you're confused, he is the truth. If you're dying, he is the life. If you need it, he has it. 
If he doesn't have it, you don't need it. So even now, as we're still in the thick of all of this stuff that we've walked into without ever knowing we would be where we are, here's what I want you to do. Stop and listen to the music. Because of this one statement, here's what I know. I don't know what some of you are going through. And I'd be the first one to admit some of you are going through a lot tougher time than I am. And I, I want you to know I, I do sympathize with you. I don't take what you're going through lightly. But please hear me. I don't know what you're going through, but you don't have to go through it alone. You don't have to stay up at night and walk the floor. You don't have to stay up at night with your blood pressure going out the roof. You don't have to stay up at night and, and, and not able to sleep because you're just not sure if you're going to make it or not. Because if you'll listen to the music, you will hear loudly and clearly, I have a shepherd who leads me. I have a shepherd that looks after me. I have a shepherd that loves me like no other shepherd ever has, ever can, or ever will. Because this good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. This good shepherd was crucified on a cross. This good shepherd came back from the grave. You know why he did that? So he could be your shepherd to lead you, look after you, and love you. Here's my question. Who right now is listening to me? And just be honest. He's not your shepherd. You, know, you, 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 you may believe he is a shepherd. You may believe he's a great shepherd. You may believe he's the chief shepherd. You may, be, you may believe there's never been a shepherd like him. But he's not your shepherd. Can you really say the Lord is my shepherd? Not in your head but in your heart. So how do you do that? How do you make the Lord your shepherd? Well, first of all, you've got to admit you're a sheep in need of one. Well, you, are you willing to admit that? I need a shepherd. Well, if you're a sheep that needs a shepherd, spiritually speaking, what you're saying is, I'm a sinner that needs a Savior. That's exactly right. That's the first step to making Jesus your shepherd. You've got to admit, I'm a sheep that needs a shepherd. I'm a sinner that needs the Savior. And once you get that, then the rest is just downhill. You say, look, I believe you died for me. I believe you came back from the grave. I believe you did all of that to come and live in my heart so you could lead me and look after me and love me. I want you today to be my shepherd. If that's what you're saying right now, why don't you just say it to him in this way? Why don't you just say, Lord, I'm a sheep. I need a shepherd. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Today, I'm asking you to become my shepherd. I thank you that you're making me one of your sheep. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I repent and turn away from my sinful life. Today, I trust you as my saving shepherd. Today, I trust you, the Lord, now my shepherd. I surrender all of my life to you. Thank you for becoming my shepherd. I believe there are people right now, you prayed that prayer with me, didn't you? And you meant it. Yes, I did. And now you know, not just the Lord is a shepherd or the shepherd, but you know the Lord is your shepherd. Yes, I do. I want you to do something right now. I want you to go on your computer or, where are you, or your phone, 
go to crosspointchurch.com forward slash decision or to make it even easier, just text yes Jesus to 31996. Just right now do that. If you today prayed with me and the Lord went from being a shepherd or the shepherd to your shepherd, I want you to either go to this website, crosspointchurch.com forward slash decision, or text yes Jesus to 31996. And, and when you go there, just let us know about your decision. We want to follow up with you and just kind of help you make that new transition to being a sheep that now has the Lord as your shepherd. If you have a prayer request, do the same thing. If you've got a need, let us know what that need is. Let us know how we can pray for you. We want to hear from you. Now, Today is, uh, this is uh, the Sunday before Memorial Day. And I want to say to all of those who have served in our armed forces or do serve in our armed forces, we're thankful for you. But especially those of you who maybe have a loved one that gave their life for this country, we're especially grateful for you. And in the spirit of that Memorial Day, and, and because we're about to celebrate a, a memorial, the greatest memorial of all, I want you to listen to this testimony of a family. It's one of the sweetest, most heart-rendering testimonies I've ever heard in my life. And it will be a, such a blessing to you on this Memorial Day weekend. My name is Lynn Johnson and I'm married to Stan. Uh, we have four children, uh, Olivia, Eliza, Philip, and Stephen. Stephen, our youngest, was a freshman in high school on 9-11. And um, that day as he watched what happened, he determined that he was gonna go into the Marine Corps when he graduated from high school. He graduated from Paris Island Marine Corps boot camp on uh, October 7th, 2005. And um, then on October 6th of 2006, Stephen along with two other Marines and an Iraqi interpreter were killed in action due to a very large IED in Sacklawi, Iraq. Right before the doorbell rang, Stan had called me. And he heard the doorbell ring, and he said, well, I'm not gonna hang up until, you know, who's ringing our doorbell? So um, when I went to the door, I could see the Marines through the side lights at our front door, and I told him who was there. So I just paused and he paused and um, we made the determination that we were gonna do this by faith. So we just, we moved through with faith, believing in the sovereignty of God, that our days are numbered and because of what we know from scripture. And you have to make the determination that you believe what you're reading and you believe the word of God. And, um, and that's what we did. I know scripture teaches that um, for those of us who are in Christ that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. But you still grieve because you miss them. And, um, and when you start having birthdays and anniversaries and new baby, new babies born into the family, you've got that missing spot at the table. And I found that over time as I continued to give my grief when it would just like kick me in the gut and I would just give it back to Jesus, it's like there was a divine exchange took place and then I would get peace because you're trusting the Lord Jesus with your pain and then he replaces it with his peace. If I had not known 
the Word of God like I did on October 6th of 2006, I don't believe I'd be here today. It just changes your whole perspective and your whole outlook because it's the Word of God, it's the mind of God, it's God's ways on paper. And as we pour that into ourselves um, and embrace it, then He uses it to transform our feelings. He corrects our thinking and gives us His perspective, which is truth. And when you can move out in truth, there's a power to that that enables you to get up in the morning and move through the day with hope and joy. I want to say, first of all, to Lynn and to their family, what, a, what an unbelievable testimony. And uh, I just want to say to the whole Johnson family, thank you. Uh, not only, first of all, for the sacrifice you and, of course, your son made for our country. Greater love hath no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. Greater love has no patriot for his country. Then he laid down his life for his country. So I thank you, first of all, for that. But then for your unbelievable faith and, and, and your unshakable confidence in the Lord. I, I just want to tell you again how thankful and how, how grateful I am for you. You know, this Memorial Day, we really do try to, as much as we can, to remember on this Memorial Day weekend, and sometimes we, we, we treat it like another holiday, but it shouldn't be. So we do give thanks for all of the patriots all through the years, all of those men and women who gave their lives for the love of their country and the love of this nation. We bless you families who are today... Uh, it's a bittersweet time. You, you grieve over the loss of the loved one, but yet you, you take pride and joy in the fact that they did make that ultimate sacrifice. So we do want to remember that memorial and give it the respect that it deserves. But there, there's something about a memorial that, that's in the heart of God. Because actually Jesus said that there's a memorial, a memorial day that we ought to celebrate several times a year as much as, much as we want to. And it's the memorial of the Lord's Supper. There's, some, there's a principle that we are to remember, remember those who gave their lives for us. But the one we should remember above all is the one that made the greatest sacrifice of all. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we made a decision a few weeks ago that even though we can't meet, it doesn't mean we can't still remember Jesus. We still cannot practice this memorial. And so we've invited you, as you know, we've been telling you this for a few weeks. We want to take the Lord's Supper. We want you to take it in your home. And we've asked you to make sure that you get out and you've got some, you know, some grape juice or you may use real wine. I'm not going to fuss over that. But uh, then I've got some crackers. You may have some bread. And by the way, we do believe it's important that you take it with, with either, you know, something that's red, the fruit of the vine, because that is the picture of his blood. And then something like some crackers or bread, that's a picture of his body. There are two things I want to say, especially to families. Make sure your kids are gathered around. And, and we would love for you, if you don't mind, if you'll take a picture of you and your family as you get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we'd like to post that and show that and show people around the world that even though we can't meet uh, together, th though we need to meet and want to as soon as we can, that we're still doing church and we're still doing everything that God has commanded us to do. But also, mom and dad, please do what my mom and dad did for me. One of the most teachable moments in my life was the day I was sitting in church on a Sunday morning. And it was the first time that, that I was aware about taking the Lord's Supper. I was sitting next to my mom and my dad. In fact, I was sitting between them. And I got so upset because I couldn't take the Lord's Supper. I think I was about seven or eight years old. I couldn't take the Lord's Supper. 
But my mom and dad used that as a teachable moment to tell me what the supper meant and why I was not ready to take it. So don't be frivolous about this. This is only for those people, frankly, who are believers. If the Lord's not your shepherd, this is not your supper, and you shouldn't take it. But if the Lord is your shepherd, you should. But for those in your household who maybe have not yet made that decision, explain to them lovingly and carefully why it's so important that that decision at the right time is made and then why we take the Lord's Supper together. So if you would do those things, that would be so wonderful. I'll be brief with this. So you take your bread or your cracker, whatever you want to do. We go back 2,000 years. I've been in the upper room. It's not really where the upper room was, but the kind of the traditional side of the upper room in Jerusalem. Been there many times. And in that upper room, Jesus was about to die. It was Passover week, and he was about to make the ultimate sacrifice. He was about to become the Lamb of God, not just an ordinary lamb, not all those lambs, those millions of lambs that were sacrificed for thousands of years, but that Lamb of God, the Lamb became the shepherd, and the shepherd was the Lamb. It's an unbelievable uh, metaphor. But Jesus took this bread, and he broke it. And he blessed it as I bless this in the name of Jesus. And so you'll take this with me now. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. As often as you take it, you do it in memorial, in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving your son, Lord Jesus, for that divine human body that was given for us, beaten, battered, bloodied, and bruised for our sins. We thank you. We remember you. And we bless you. And we love you. We praise you as the shepherd who gave his literal body for the sins of his sheep. And then the scripture says, that Jesus took a cup. In that cup, it was red. It was purposely red. Because sheep were sacrificed, not the wool, but the blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Jesus paid the highest price that's ever been paid for anything when he literally shed what's called in the book of Acts the blood of God, because it was the blood of God, because Jesus was God. Jesus, as God, shed his blood for us to pay for our sins. Jesus took that cup and he blessed it. Here's what he said. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, your apostle John said, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So today on this Memorial Day Sunday, thank you for being our sovereign, our king. Thank you for being our shepherd who leads us. But thank you for being our sacrifice who died for us that we may have eternal life. And Lord, may we also really remember that for the church, every weekend's Memorial Day weekend because we are only here. We are only who we are and what we are because you died for our sins and came back from the grave so that you could be that shepherd that leads us, looks after us, 
and loves us. And it's to you we give praise and honor today in the name of Jesus. Amen.